Welcome to the All Things Real Estate Podcast with our very own Josh Barker. With more than 20 years of experience and over 5,000 properties sold, Josh brings a unique perspective to the real estate market. Let's get started. Joey Garten here with Josh Barker. <laughs> Again, laughing off screen before yes. rolling. That's hey, bad stuff, man. Keeping it real here. Yeah, keeping it real. Uh, so last time we got together, yep. uh, the big topic was Zillow. The fact that Zillow had... Um, stopped their purchasing of homes. Yep. They were laying off a quarter of their employees. Mm-hmm. And what impact did that have? And you said, hey, not really, because they weren't buying anything here. Exactly. So it kind of segued into, okay, well, how much inventory do we have? What does the market look like? And one of the, the, the topics that rises in that is we don't see a lot of new construction, or at least I guess that's a very subjective. I don't see a lot of new construction for inventory. Sure. Why is that? Well, I think what you're probably getting to there is like there's no meaningful level of construction that makes everybody go, wow, everybody's building everywhere, you know, and um, that, that's there. It's really a, a loaded question because it's really a question of is it the chicken before the egg or the egg before the chicken kind of thing where, you know, do I, if, I, if we build a lot of new additional homes to add to the housing inventory, do we have enough people to buy those homes that the contractors can keep building them quickly? Or is it a situation where if we build them, the people will come, you know, and that's what makes it really hard is that I think if you get too far ahead of yourself, there's this little, you know, devils in the details kind of thing where absorption rate is really the guiding factor, how many homes are actually sold each month. And if you add too many homes to the housing supply um, and you don't have enough people to buy them, they sit. And and if you're a contractor building new homes, that's a major problem. Um, you know, we have seen over the last couple of years with the car fire and the fire that was there in paradise, um, that that really caused us to have this pretty big construction boom here because the homes that we were burnt down that were rebuilt that added to our construction here in the marketplace. Um, but it also, um, gave an opportunity for contractors to buy vacant lots too, and, and build homes as well. So we're starting to see some construction. It's not all bad. It's, it's definitely getting better. It's starting to trickle in as far as like final production hitting the market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the car rebuilds have already been done. The homeowners, most of those have already rebuilt at this point. Um, Some of the vacant lots that were sitting out there in the inventory that were homes that were burnt down that were purchased by contractors, most of those have been rebuilt. Um, There's still some vacancy lots out there, but but a lot of it has been done. A majority of it has. Do we have, uh, my next thought is like our volume, how many contractors do we have? Because I can't, I can only think of a couple of larger names of actual you know, subdivision developers, right? Yeah. Versus yeah. individual contractors. Yep. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to go into the names of them because there's, there, that would be disrespectful to anybody I didn't mention. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's four or five larger ones in town. We have a large national home builder that just came in and acquired a subdivision in West Reading that's going to be uh, building, my understanding, in the spring. Um, but as far as contractors, I mean, there's a lot. I, I don't even know how many. I mean, it would be over 100. Um, because a lot of them just do, you know, one home or maybe two homes a a year and they do it for, uh, you know, for, for that reason, they only want to do one or two a year. So there's a lot of people that do that. Um, and then there's some that are actually more production and volume minded. And those are the ones that we normally see running around the market. So in your opinion, do you think we have enough new construction in Shasta County? I mean, is there, I don't even know what the inventory numbers would be for that, but it seems like there's almost nothing. It feels that way, but there is. I mean, and do we have enough? Probably a little light. 
but for good reason, right? So right now you've got uh, some challenges with contractors. I mean, what they're dealing with right now is you have uh, the labor shortage itself, mm-hmm. right? So that that plays into this. Can I find enough people to, so if I go out and make promises and bids on different projects, can I fulfill those promises and bids uh, with, with people? Um, and then you have the wage piece of it where, you know, some of these folks are, you know, the wages are, they're competing against each other a little bit. Some contractors are taking, you know, uh, labor from other contractors. And so that's causing wages to go up because one way to lure them over is, is, is wage. Sure. Um, and so we're seeing some of that happening. Um, you know, we talked about in our last video about, um, you know, the disple- uh, disruption of the supply chain. And, um, you know, when it's harder to get access to those products that you need, uh, home products like appliances and I mean, even paint, I was talking to a friend yesterday who said that um, they ordered their paint and it took them like 60 days to get the paint. Wow. And so, and I, I don't know if that has anything to do with the supply chain. Maybe there was a warehouse that burnt down somewhere. I don't know. But but I just know that there's major issues with supplies. Um, and I think that's putting its own pressure on the ability to supply the market. And you know what? Honestly, that might be a good thing because it's certainly keeping us from overbuilding in our market. Um, you know, we've heard of times in the past where other markets have overbuilt big time and, and it drugged the whole market down because they oversupplied. Um, we haven't done that here. You know, we're going through a remodel right now. I mean, like a major remodel. We added, we almost doubled the size of our house. And at every point, it seems like there's been a supply issue, just product. Uh, we have a really good general contractor. I guess I won't name him because we've got to name everybody. But um, he, you know, he talked about how juggling the projects, but it was, in, he would make comments like uh, he was surprised how long, how many weeks out, just a simple product, yeah. like a toilet. Yeah. Like something like, uh, I think my wife picked a couple of sinks. And, you know, went down, picked them out, and then they called back and they said, oh, yeah, we can have those in about seven months. And she was like, what? <laughs> and like, What's my other option? Yeah, it's like, show me sinks that we can have within the next few weeks. So yeah. we're a few weeks behind, but we also dealt with um, issues with permits and stuff like that. It just seemed like every step of the way was uh, pushed back yeah. a little bit. Yep. And I really don't think it was the contractor because was his communication level was so high. And so yeah. I just think you're right. There's a lot of supply chains that are disrupted. Uh, and we had an issue with the paint too, where they were just like, oh, no, that one will be months out. So like yep. when she went to choose the paint, um, they gave her guidelines and she, you know, she said, Hey, what can I get yep. now? Yep. Oh, okay. Well then only look at these yep. same thing with appliances. And we even got a, a couple of furniture pieces. And I was shocked. We you know, yep. went in they're like, Oh yeah, you can have that in a year. And just what? add and put that at scale. I mean, imagine you're a contractor that has to develop, you know, 40, 50 homes in a year. Right. I mean, think about all those disruptions where you have a great supplier, but all of a sudden that supplier supplier is now disrupted. And so now your, your go-to supplier is no longer, uh, reliable, you know, and it's just, it's it's a challenge. Um, you know, I think if we go forward and, and, and look at the next two, three, four years, I do see there's an opportunity for us to see some construction here at a meaningful level. And I suspect that with the demand that we have coming from Sacramento, the Bay Area and Southern California, that a lot of that is justified. I think we'll be able to fill it. I think there's a lot of homeowners that are currently living in homes now that they're looking around going, well, <laughs> I have to make a decision to remodel my home, or if we want, we can go pick a new one. And if there was enough of those new ones out there uh, for them to choose from, they, they might make that choice instead. And so they buy a new home that, re- that now provides a resale home to the market as well. And it's a healthy, healthy thing when new construction is being added to the existing housing supply. Um, if anything, it's going to help us to stabilize the appreciation piece because you know, seeing appreciation jump as fast as it has is going to price our children out of a market that we don't want them to leave. 
you know, that's one of the things I think about is that everyone gets very excited. Well, if you're a homeowner, you get very excited when, you know, rates or uh, home appreciation. Yeah, it goes up. Thank yeah. you. But as the younger home buyers, it's that's not or even people that are thinking about, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people like, well, I was thinking about selling. But then what do I buy? Yeah. You know, they want to downsize. They yeah. want the kids have gone off to college and they're like, oh, I kind of want like a, a smaller home. Yep. But they're they're like, you know, you you sell. But there's really no inventory. Mm. I know there's inventory, but uh, as far as like numbers go, I think in your market update you were talking about our numbers are pretty much it's just over 600 homes right now. And last year it was just over. Uh, well, it was a little higher, about 700. But yeah, it's pretty similar. The whole last 12 months, 18 months since COVID has been, you know, the housing market, is, the inventory has been depleted. Yeah. So is 600 a healthy inventory, or no. what do you think? What no, do you think a healthy all. inventory is? Probably a thousand to 1100. And we talk uh, about, right now based on sales volumes. And we talked about how there could be with the forbearance programs and things that are happening that we might see some inventory hit the market, a large volume of homes hit the market. Yeah, so, in one form or another, you know, they might be just regular sales because they have equity, um, you know, or they might be uh, short sell if they didn't have any equity. And worst case scenario, foreclosure. And there's going to be a portion of those that you know that that, that distressed property from our last video that's going to be there. Um, I don't think it's going to have a massive drag on the market because the numbers are even if half of them came to the market, it's not large enough to be, you know, life changing in terms of what prices will be. But, you know, if, if you were to describe like this, like perfect um, housing price appreciation in the market, it would mm -hmm. be really two, three percent. You know, it'd be a track inflation. Yeah, stay ahead of inflation just a little bit, right? Not 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 today's inflation, but normal historical inflation. Because if it, if prices go up about two or three percent a year, after about three or four years, you could choose if you wanted to to sell your home. You'd have the equity necessary and probably have enough money to put something down on the next home. And that's what you really would want is because then you then people every three or four years have options if they choose to take them. You know what I mean? That'd be yeah. perfect. You wouldn't want to be too much faster than that in appreciation because. Like we talked about, you you want your children to have the capacity to purchase a home and stay in the community that they grew up in, right? You want the person who provides professional services and and even even just regular blue collar services in a marketplace. You want them to be able to own a home as well, um, so they stay. You know, you want everybody to have some level of an American dream. You know, and it's based on merit, of course, but you still want to provide some uh, some ability that when you do the right things and you work hard, you should be able to own a home. And that's what I love about Reading right now is that we still, for the most part, can do that. I it's mean, still affordable. It is. I mean, I don't mean to disregard anybody that's not able to afford a home because we, we feel for that, too. And we want to see that get solved. But the only way that's going to get solved is if we add homes to the inventory. So if you if someone was coming to you and said, hey, we're thinking about building versus buying, is there do you point them in a certain direction? <clears throat> well, I mean, right now, building versus buying is uh, interesting. Um, I would suspect that. I mean, you can obviously build. And, and for equal to what you can buy an existing home for. And the only proof of that is in the fact that builders right now can build a home and sell it on the market, right? Got it. So, so you, can, you can do it. Um, but there is time involved. So if you're thinking today, hey, I might want to build a home, it's probably if you even got started today, it's probably going to be about a year out. Uh, and it could be as even as far as maybe a year and a half. And that's with most people doing all the things right the whole way through. And that's because of the things we talked about, the supply chain disruptions, the lack of labor, you know, um, how long it takes to get things done. Um, so first thing to think about is how long will it take, right? Um, next thing you're going to be looking at is, you know, a lot, a lot of acquisition. Are you buying an existing neighborhood with a lot sitting there waiting for you? Um, you know, where the developers got the plans already ready for you? Or are you going to go out and find a lot on your own? You know, that takes time. 
And so it's totally doable. Um, but if you haven't done it before, you're definitely going to want to pair up with a really reputable builder. They should be able to help help you through the process of designing a floor plan. Um, you know, share with them what your budget is so you can design a plan where you get what you want for the price you want. Um, you know, all those pieces are going to be a big part of it if you're going to make that decision, but it takes a while. Do you think it's a good investment right now? Do you think that, because one yeah. thing would be, Hey, I, I want to do this because I have my dream home in my mind. And so I want this exact home. Yeah. You're like, okay, then you got to build it, you know, or the other would be like, well, I'll make equity, you know, I'll, because I'm building even with a general contractor, I yeah. should yeah, get a certain percentage, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the word yield spread premium comes to my mind, right? But that's not a great way to describe it. But are you saying, is there a clear benefit to building over purchasing existing homes? No, there is no financial clear benefit. Really? Uh, no, it's probably slightly more expensive to buy, to build a new home than it is to buy an existing one. Wow. Um, so you don't think you're saving a ton of money in that way. But what you, look what you get in a trade-off for it. You get a little bit of a house that's more along the lines of exactly what you wanted. It's new, so it comes with the benefits of less maintenance and repair in the you know in the next 10 years. Roof, HVAC system, yeah, all that stuff doesn't yeah. need to so be replaced the, in five years. Exactly. So there's some built-in conveniences that you get by buying new. And so maybe on paper it's slightly more expensive, but maybe over the 10-year period it's not. Um, so, But I, I wouldn't say that it's a no-brainer to build right now versus buy. Are we seeing anything outside of single-family home construction going on? Does it, I mean, I've always heard that Reading doesn't have enough. Um, I don't know if the term is low-income housing or what the proper term is, but basically like multi-unit. Uh, that's always been like a big dig on Reading that there's, I don't know what that percentage is that they use where they say, hey, this is, you know, a certain percentage. Higher density. Higher density. There you go. Yeah. Um, I, we're not seeing any of that, right? I don't even know if we have enough zoning well, we, well, the zoning isn't an issue anymore. State of California passed a couple of laws where they're basically for putting pushing back on the cities and saying you have to actually increase your density for the housing uh, because they don't want to be in a situation where the housing market gets too out of control. So it's now giving the cities flexibility to increase their density zoning, even when the general plan originally didn't allow, outline for it. Um, so that's been a change that's taken place. Um, we are seeing some higher density here. I mean, we have four or five major apartment complexes that are being built right now just on the west side of town. So um, one of them just got completed. There's several more going up. So there there are some higher density units that are coming in. Um, we have some cluster home developments that are coming in. This is where they're like attached living. So you have your nice townhouse and it's attached. One wall is common with the townhouse next door. And, mm -hmm. and so we see a lot of those cluster homes coming up as well. There's one that's coming up on the west side of town as, as well right now. Um, there's a couple of bigger ones on the east side of town. And so I, I do see that happening now. And, and really the general plan kind of looks like, you know, imagine a, a large arterial uh, road. Is that the way to say that word? Arterial? Arterial, thank you. And so you see that road coming through. So that first layer is higher density right along that road. Mm -hmm. When you get further back, it starts to slow down, uh, drop into a lower priced single family dwelling. And then in the back of that area would be a higher end single family dwelling. And so we're starting to see that kind of pattern um, up and down the state. So Arterial Road, higher density right next to it, then smaller single family, and then larger homes behind that. And uh, I think that that's kind of the, the game plan I see a lot of the general plan looking like. I wasn't aware of all that, the multi-unit. Um, I just noticed that I always, I always check like multi-units for sale. It's mm -hmm. just one of those things I like to check. And you see almost nothing for sale. They're not selling them. Yeah, they're not yeah. selling them. No, no, they're being built a whole. And, and some of them are using some of them are using state money, and so a portion of them maybe be like a, a low rent scenario, uh, whatever that means. Because I'm, I'm not going to talk about the project, but I'm looked at one recently. I'm like, that's called low rent. Wow. Okay. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> there's there's some people are tapping government money to do that. But a lot of those bigger ones that I'm referring to, they're they're not being they're not being built on speculation and then sold to the market. Um, they're being built and held and probably will get occupied, establish a cap rate, and then maybe at that point, if they decide to, they might sell it at that point and exchange somewhere else. But uh, but no, I think the people you're seeing right now building or, or, or holding them. So you talk about that. Do you want to talk about the cap rate at all? Is there like a cap rate that you'd say is the, the Shasta County cap rate? You know, it's, I mean, I talked to folks that are down in the Bay Area and Southern California, and it seems like their cap rates are averaging on the really low end. And I don't know why they do it other than future appreciation, but 1%. And I see them as high as maybe three, three and a half percent. And that's pretty normal. I mean, I, for them to find more than that, it's that, you know, highly educated investor that knows how to find the deal, right? But for average, you know, investors, I'd say one to three percent down there. Up here, um, you know, you're seeing cap rates that are about five percent, um, and and they go up from there. You know, mm-hmm. you see them seven, eight, nine percent, but it really depends on the condition of the property. So our newer inventory, the newer stuff that you're going to find, um, and if you get a good buy on it, you might find a cap rate at four and a half, five percent on new stuff or newer stuff. As it gets older, though, that cap rate starts to go up, and it looks like a better return on paper, but that's because it's going to come down the road with more maintenance and repair and and stuff like that. Um, We have investors looking up here because the cap rates are more attractive than bigger cities, and if they're expecting a return, you know, a place like Reading is an option. Does the cap rate usually rise by the number of doors in in the units? Um, It could, you know, but it really has to do with, you know, how, how much money are you putting into this project, right? Mm-hmm. And then what, what is your net, spe- net taxable income when it's done? And the you know, reconciliation between those two numbers essentially is how you're going to establish your cap rate. What about that whole like four unit to five unit step? Because a four unit or less is a residential loan. So I, it just looks like the four, you, oftentimes I see a fourplex that's more expensive than a fiveplex. You know yeah. I mean? like, cause the, and I think it's access because, to credit. Yeah. The availability to, to finance mm-hmm. it versus the second you go to five doors, it becomes yep. a commercial loan. Yep. Rates go up. You have to yep. put much larger down. Yep. I mean, a young person, you don't have to be a young person, but a young person starting out could, their first purchase could be a fourplex. You know what I mean? They live in one of the units and say, yeah, this is my primary residence. Yeah. And, and we've, then, I've met clients over the years that have done that. It's, it's genius. Yeah, it's it, brilliant. It actually is because you're getting in with less money out of your pocket. You're, you're, you know, because you can buy them for much less than what you buy an investment property for. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you go and you purchase it, now, now you're renting out the other three, usually almost always covers your own personal rent. So now there's no expense to your living expense at all. And you're building equity. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. But your point there is really well taken that, you know, up to four units, you can use FHA financing, which means that you can increase the amount of buyer demand for your property. As soon as you go to five, the down payment goes way up. It shoots way up because now you're into a non-conforming product. Um, and when you're in that zone, you know, the investor pool, you're, you're getting rid of all the other folks. And now you're only with investors, essentially, that can purchase that property. So it narrows the market. And that's why you could see a fourplex selling for more than a fiveplex. I, I don't know how commercial loans uh, work, but in the past when I've dealt with them, it's like, that, you know, they also want a much larger down payment. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's uh, 30% maybe you might. On average. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, like I said, the interest rates are, you know, I think when residential rates were in the low threes, I still think commercial was five, maybe it was. five plus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you, in our last episode, you talked about 1% interest rate reduces your buying power by 10%. So you can see why, right? Is that about right? Yeah. So for every 1%, the interest rate goes up. The, in, the purchasing power goes down by 10%. So if you qualify at 400,000 at 3%, 
If that rate then goes to 4%, now you only qualify for 360000 Now it makes sense why you'll go in and you'll see a, a property that's four fourplexes on four par, you know, parts side by side. <laughs> and they're like, why didn't you just build a 16plex? It's like, because yeah. I can sell these four four. The, Correct. They're the probably on four. Door. Yeah, they're probably on four separate lots and have the ability to be financed differently. You have access to credits a lot different. And that's probably a smart move. Absolutely. So you're comfortable with the level of new construction. It's by it staying just in, a little bit underneath. It kind of is a, a safety net for those builders, you know, to not overbuild. You're comfortable with the level of commercial building that we, the projects we have. What the marketplace moving forward, where if we're underneath our inventory, isn't that just going to cause our the uh, the appreciation rate to be much higher than you think? Which kind of, if anything, if we do get to where inventory meets and exceeds, we're going to see like a drop, right? Yep. I, I think the best way to describe it would be because, you know, absorption rate is really what it is. I mean, a healthy market's going to be about a, a healthy market, about four to six percent or a four to six month supply of homes, meaning that it would take four to six months to sell the existing inventory if nothing else came up for, mar- for sale in the market. Right. Um, our inventories are too low right now because our absorption rate right now is probably sitting at like 2.5, 2.5 months supply. That's why we're appreciating so fast. Um, but as people start to get moving again, as the supply chain and, you know, starts to get moving, as people start going back to work, as, you know, people feel more comfortable with whatever this pandemic thing is now, um, you know, whatever that looks like, you'll start to see our inventories begin to grow out of this. I expect the spring that we're going to see our inventory grow. Okay. And will it grow really fast? It's, it's hard to tell, you know, but if it does grow, it means that our, our appreciation is going to begin to taper off. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, for those that are thinking, oh, that means the crash. It's like, no, it just means that we were hopefully transitioning back to a more uh, stable and slow, steady growth real estate market. We don't like big swings in real estate. It affects people's lives too much. It's much safer. It's much more comfortable for people when there's just slow, predictable, steady growth. When was the last time we had that? Not very often, man. 20 years, I've I think I, I saw the tail end of it in, you know, 2000, 2001, two, and then by three, you know, it started to turn into a pretty crazy market and it's been bouncing really bad ever since. But prior to that, if you looked, it looked very, um, it looked actually pretty stable. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wonder if it has anything to do with policy too, because it seems like the more that the state is, has implemented policy in the housing market, it's really began to disrupt inventory. And, um, you know, if, if the Bay Area and Southern California were able to increase their housing supply or, um, you know, have some more flexibility with expanding out to other areas, the places like Redding could do it with a little lower cost, the housing issue could probably solve itself. I mean, for example, I talked to somebody before and I said, you know, if we went back to the building standards of 1992, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and just did that for homes up to like 1,500 square feet. And we said, we're going to do that for the next 36 months. Do you have any idea how many homes would be built in the lower end? A lot. A ton, because the cost would be so much lower, right? They, they wouldn't be dealing with all that added regulation. And so within 36 months, you could have a, not, that's not going to solve all the problems. It would be to be a meaningful contribution to solving that housing issue. Um, but, you know, I don't mean to, I'm not going into the weeds there. I'm just saying that, you know, the way that the, the government has an impact on policy does have an impact on, on how many homes get built. Well, I think a, a perfect example of um, policy impacting the market was the uh, capital gains laws that changed in the late 90s, which said, you know, a married couple can waive up to $500,000. A single person can waive $250,000 on your primary residence if it's been your primary residence two out of the last five years. And you can do that unlimited number of times. Yep. I mean, at that point, you you really turned up the 
like flipping a buying a new house every three years. Yes. Right. Especially when you combine that with an appreciation market and easy money. I mean, the, the next word that went to my mind was casino. Uh, I was like, wait, did they just make a casino? Three sevens. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah. that, I think that had a huge impact, right? It's well, and all these things are, you know, there's just so many different variables now um, that have an impact on market, you know, valuations. And I think that's part of the challenge is, you know, now when I, when I look at what, you know, the government's doing, it's not, I, I'm not taking a position left or right or in the middle or anything. No. I'm literally going to policy and going, okay, with that policy, this is probably how it's going to play out on main street so that it can you know be well advised on how to both help our clients, but also, you know, for our own investment portfolio, what, what, what moves we need to make. Well, can you imagine if all primary residents, you have to pay 15% capital gains? You don't think that would slow, That'd slow the market slow, down, slow the market down versus, mm-hmm. Hey, let's, you know, sell it and, and buy a boat and buy another house. Yep. No, I think that absolutely. And that has nothing to do with left or right either. It has everything to do with just the policy yeah. and it our controls acts, behavior it has an impact on behavior. Absolutely. And our, and our access to money, and I wonder how that's going to play out because it's, we've for a very long time, when I first bought, I bought my first house, I think in 2001 and I got a, I think I got like 7% and that was really good at the time. Yeah. And we're, I mean, money has been so cheap for so long yep. and I don't see any really stopping that. It's almost like it's the new norm. Right? I, I I think so. I mean, we're not wise enough and old enough now, now to you know, to see, you know, 80 years into the past. But I mean, when I got in the business, interest rates for FHA were over 9%. Yeah. And right now they're in the low threes. Yeah. You know, so, and I've seen it this low for a long time now. Um, For them to raise rates is actually a pretty scary thought for me because most people purchase homes based on what they can afford for a monthly payment. Mm -hmm. And so whatever the rate is has an impact on that, on on what the purchase price is going to be. So if rates went up to the 9% that I'm saying that I had 20 years ago, um, that would have a significant impact on what people can qualify to purchase. And that would immediately drag the market down. So um, no idea. All I know is that if they, they, they really can't raise the rates back to the days, that, you know, the old days, it's just not something that, that can be done without having a significant consequence. Yeah, no, I, I don't see, and that's another example of policy, and that's something that's transcended whoever's been in the White House or whatever. That's been for almost you know fifteen years now. Totally. Been super yeah. low. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much you bet. today. I yeah. appreciate that. So, if someone's thinking about uh, building or buying or uh, you know that your phone number is going to be listed, they can call you direct <laughs> and ask yeah. and yeah. get your advice. Yeah, just type it into Google or uh, go to ReadingHomes.com if you want to see any of that stuff. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, you bet. Have a good thank one. you. <laughs>